Welcome to The Edge of NFT, the podcast created by Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of Web3 today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts of the business side and also the human element of how Web3 is changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Hey guys, this is Richard Carthon. The Edge of NFT team just had an amazing opportunity to spend an incredible week here in Korea, where the arts and blockchain and Web3 scene had electrifying energy. On this episode, we connected with three pioneers. You get their perspective on mass adoption, how brands enter Asian markets like Korea, and how brands are utilizing Web3 technology here. Stay tuned for more. Hi, everyone. Josh Krieger, co-host of Edge NFT live in Seoul, Korea during Korea Blockchain Week at the second day of Impact with an individual that's been really important to the Web3 industry for quite some time, Amanda Cassett, who I got the chance to catch up with here in Korea as opposed to the United States. It's great to see you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, yeah. What brings you to Asia? Well, we've actually been seeing a lot of growth in APAC. It's gone from maybe 2% of our business to almost 20% of our business, wow. almost overnight. And we are actually going to be opening an APAC office next year. Exciting. We're working directly with the Korea Blockchain Week team. We've been helping market that event to reach more people in the West. And we really think the meme of Korea, especially, and in Web3, is growing. And it always feels good to be part of something growing. Very cool. So for those of you at home that don't know Amanda, she is the Web3 Marketing Decentralized Technology Trail Leader, <laughs> aka the CEO of Serotonin. And this is an agency and product studio which enabled her co-founding Mojito, who was part of Outer Edge LA, was great to have them involved. And that's a top NFT commerce suite embraced by industry leaders like Sotheby's and CA, to name a few. She authored Web3 Marketing, which is the world's first book on decentralized tech marketing. And she was a consensus CMO from 2016 to 2019, instrumental in Ethereum's growth. And before that, she co-founded Slant, which is another media startup, following an apprenticeship with Ariana Huffington at the Huffington Post. I got to see her at VCon. She's another amazing trailblazer. Yeah, very cool. And again, just a little bit more context, Serotonin's a professional services agency and product studio founded in 2020, with a focus on the Web3 landscape. So... Let's get into it, though. Folks can do a little bit more research on Serotonin and check it out. But just to start off, like you've worked with so many different brands and have a really interesting experience crossing Web 2 and Web 3. What are some of the lessons learned and takeaways for you from the last few years? Yeah, so we actually coined the term the Web 2.5. And I think that's been the main lesson of the last few years. There are all kinds of companies that are somewhere in between being centralized, normal companies and being fully decentralized projects that don't have an entity, are governed by a DAO, etc. I mean, more in the middle than on the sides, right? Definitely. And we're meeting a lot of traditional companies where they are and helping them realize the benefits of wading out into the decentralized world, kind of like how a lot of companies first started exploring the public open internet. And on the converse side, we're working with a lot of the leading Web3 native startups, ones whose goal is to be as decentralized as possible, and we're helping them pick up users. And that gives us a really unique vantage point to help them partner with each other and to create the relationships between the two. We can work with a traditional brand and help guide them into Web3 in a way that's going to be received positively, that's strengthening to the overall space, 
And we can also help forge narratives and partnerships connecting the Web3 world with the mainstream names that people know and love. I love that. So obviously experience helps, but a lot of this, Eric Calderon said this on the show, like uh, our box, he's wonderful. I mean, our box was completely an experiment, right? And from his perspective, it still is. Mm -hmm. What are some of the specific takeaways from the experiments that you've run over the last few years where you're like, oh, I didn't realize that would happen. So first of all, I love Eric and I have a squiggle on the front cover of my book that I actually licensed to be able to use that way. And we really love the Artblocks community and everything that they've done. Yeah, Eric's great. It was an honor to have him as one of our keynotes at Outer Edge. Awesome. In terms of lessons learned, the thing I always say about marketing is there's no way around it. You can't just suddenly hack your way to being a big, well-known global brand that you have to actually do all the things. And all of the projects that fake their user numbers buy a bunch of followers, those followers aren't engaged and no one's convinced and no one cares at the end of the day. The market falls away and it's gone. What's important is actually building something from fundamentals that people have a need for, that actually makes sense, that has some kind of audience or that's able to probe and find early market fit, growing a community the organic way starting in concentric circles with the people closest to it that care about it the most, but then evangelize it to the next concentric circle, you're not going to wake up and be an overnight smash hit. You're going to move outward in these rings, doing it the authentic way. And that's what we work on with all of our projects, figuring out how to actually get users and growth and build communities that really care about the project. Because we often compare a community in Web3 to a spaceship. You are a space alien and you land and you put down your ladder and some humans, wherever you landed, walk onto your spaceship, then you fly away, then you populate your planet and live with those humans forever. So you've got to be selective about who those people are. And if your first community members are what we call moon boys, people just saying when moon, when token that don't actually care about your project, that's going to put off the users later that you actually want. So there's no way to hack around actually building something people want and actually building authentic community. Yeah, I totally appreciate that. Have there been any sort of specific nuggets where some things have worked better than you expected or things maybe didn't sort of land the way you had hoped without getting to like specific campaigns, but just generally like aha moments that you've had along this journey in Web3? Because I think when you're dealing with aliens, meeting other aliens and going <laughs> on new planets, they don't always understand each other in the way that you might have expected, even if you do your very best job to like distill the message. Right. So I can give you an example. One of our partners is this really great company called Galaxy, which is one of our first partners that's actually local in Asia. And they run these really cool quest style campaigns. Yeah, yeah. They've been on the show and we've done some Galaxy campaigns. It's, it's really it's incredible awesome. what they're doing. And yeah. what they're doing actually accelerates projects' user growth really fast. They've brought millions of users to projects, things that are also clients and partners of ours like Polygon, things like Optimism, authentically. And those are actual Web3 users that care about the project, that have done projects or quests that prove that. And then they get rewards and then they get to join the community. So it's not like you can't use any sort of extrinsic form of rewards or incentives. You just need to make sure that you're using investments, not bribes. And without naming any names of any particular projects, if everybody that's building with your technology is being paid to do that, the question is, what are they going to do when the money dries up? Do they stay or do they go? If they stay, then it's an investment. If they go, then it was a bribe. 
Yeah, that's a good rule of thumb. And, and there's definitely some L1s I've talked to recently where they're taking a hard line that they're not sort of doing sort of bounties for their chain. It's if they want to win on the technology and the value prop to the developers and the builders to use their chain. So I appreciate that because there's been a lot of bounties in our space over the last few years. But people shouldn't shy away from using paid growth tactics. We actually have an amazing paid growth team at Serotonin. We're basically reinventing what paid growth and all of the analytics and tracking around that really means in a Web 2.5 context. Just be thoughtful about it and not just sort of throwing this marketing dollars around. Making sure it's investments. Making sure it's investments that stick. What do you think some of the subsectors of Web3 are that are most promising? Obviously, folks talk about gaming a lot and big brands, but are there any niches that you're just excited about besides those macro sort of trends? Yes. And I'll talk your ear off about them. There's memberships, rewards, and loyalty. Sure. And we're super excited about that. The blockchain's the best CRM known to humankind. You just get direct buying behavior. You don't have to store anyone's private data. You can retarget people on the same platform. We have lots of big companies that are about to be launching that. I think it's on-chain summer and people have been talking about L2s, L3s, but also it's been stablecoin summer. We've worked closely with PayPal. They just launched their stablecoin, PYUSD. And I think the killer use case of Ethereum so far is stablecoins. The fact that you can just send money to anybody in the world that's an ERC-20 token that lives on a blockchain, that's unprecedented. And the future of payments and stablecoins is at stake. And I think that's incredible. And we're going to see yeah, that use I mean, case pop pe- off. Stablecoins aren't always the sexiest thing, but I was talking to someone about this the other day. They're critical mm-hmm. infrastructure, and there's quite a lot of technical sophistication and complexity behind the scenes there. Totally. Some more trends. So I think ZK is really interesting. We've had a lot of businesses hesitate to get into crypto because they don't want to put all of their business logic on the public blockchain. There's all kinds of business logic about my business that I don't want to put on the public blockchain. But being able to do ZK, and there are some L2s integrating it. There are also ZK L1s like Elio that are really interesting. I think that's super cool. I'm interested in the app chain thesis, this idea that there's going to be value accruing at the application level not just at the protocol level. And so we're seeing the interchain ecosystem that originally evolved around Cosmos and now has so much different stuff in it. I think that's going to really grow and that concept is going to grow as applications get more users. There's real world assets on chain, which is going to be a really great non-correlated part of this asset class. What are some of the real world asset use cases that you're most excited about? Do you think real estate has a chance here? Titles, luxury items, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so in terms of physical goods, I think the base case is that NFTs replace receipts and not even, maybe starting with luxury because receipts are like certificates of authenticity actually already really matter. But I think we're going to be able to trace all of our buying behavior and track all of our receipts and all of our objects on chain with things like NFTs. Then things like real estate. Yes. Like being able to sell a house on the blockchain, like what Roofstock already did. I think we're going to see that use case yeah. emerge. We've as had them on the show the and at Outer Edge. I'm really <laughs> big fan of what they've done and sort of how they've really led the way there. I mean, People have been talking about doing what they did for like five, 10 years. Like Mm -hmm. I remember in 2017, people were talking about that, but no one got it done. They got it done. So kudos to them. People have been talking about social tokens for years. People have been talking about Web3 social. I think that also in this next cycle, we're going to finally actually see it materialize. I don't think the thing that's going to end up sticking is going to be the bit clouts or the friends tech, but there's something there and someone's going to crack that and figure it out. I think Lens from Aave has a fighting chance because they're building at the protocol level without a thesis on what the actual social app looks like. So we'll see what people build on top of that. Very cool. 
Are there any sort of hot takes you have on ways to succeed with Web3 that are just not commonly held or discussed beliefs? I mean, there's a lot of panels on community and, and conversations about the importance of community, but like, do you have any sort of opinions on the industry that maybe are not sort of, that are a little bit more against the grain? I just interviewed Frank Gods, and he certainly has a lot of those, but I'm just curious like where you sort of disagree with sort of industry thought leadership principles and you're just like, well, I kind of see it a little differently. Well, I think there's a lot of pressure in the industry to juice up your user numbers, whether that's like Twitter, whether that's Discord server. And the fact that we just don't do fake tactics and we'll drop a client if they're doing fake tactics, that puts us in conflict with a lot of the secret pressures that exist. And we come out and say there's a lot of that in this space and that we're against it. And that's really kind of notable. The other thing that's unique about Cero is we're not guns for hire. We only work on projects that we care about which is unique in the industry and unique for a services company. In terms of like mainstream wisdom, okay, here's something a little controversial. And I'm not a maxi. I sometimes get called an ETH maxi just because of my role on Ethereum, but I'm not. We work with other L1s that are great. You're not anti-ordinals and all that. We work with other L1s that are differentiated in niche. We're, I'm a big Bitcoin fan. A lot of the Ethereum came out of Bitcoin. Ethereum, a lot of Ethereum people yeah. love Bitcoin. I'm like um, you, I've always been a moderate. But sometimes in the space, there's this attitude like, don't be so tribal and don't say something negative about an L1 because you have to say positive things about everybody. But it actually matters which L1 people choose because root ownership of assets is part of the core value proposition of Web3. And if users don't actually have root ownership of their supposedly blockchain-based assets, then it's not actually a real Web3 wallet or a real Web3 onboarding. And so there are definitely voices on Twitter that say, don't point out the negatives or the drawbacks of any of these L1 platforms. But I actually think it's really important that people point out logically and calmly what's going on with all these different platforms, whether they go on and off, whether people actually own their assets, whether they can transfer those assets, whether they might lose those assets because that blockchain goes away. I think that conversation is really important. I don't think there's a need for all the emotion and tribalism that goes into it. But the converse of being discriminating in a good way is also really important. Discerning. Yeah, as you sort of point that out, and I totally agree. Discernment. There's not a, enough civil sort of authentic comparing and contrasting of L1s and L2s and the pros and cons of them in marketplaces. Like everyone comes in really strong and hot. And I think like people want to have the ability to make these analytical decisions with the pros and cons. And there's no place to go to find that information. You really, it requires a lot of research. I think that can be overwhelming to enterprises that want to get involved in the space. They bring on these big teams, they hire a bunch of consultants, it takes a long time. But if we were a little bit more forthcoming with sort of the pros and cons of these different tools, I think people can make better decisions. I agree. And the other thing is, I think it's important to point out the elements of the stack in Web3 that are centralized. There are a lot of centralized elements of the Web3 stack in general. And projects are trying to decentralize, but there are these centralized points of failure that are common to a lot of these DeFi projects. And one thing I'm excited about in this space is for there to be decentralized or more decentralized competitors to some of the more centralized elements in the stack, like an AWS or like an edge network, or for those projects to be able to get assurances that they're not going to be a centralized point of failure that shuts them down. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I was just in, at Berkeley for an AI de blockchain decentralization conversation or symposium. And 
Google was there talking about all the things they're doing with their cloud to ensure user privacy and, and everything. And they're also part Great. of the conversation now. And, and so be, right? Like, I think those big players, if there's market pressure from this part of the market to be more private, to provide more trustworthy assurances about not shutting something down, I think that pressure is a positive on the big players. Cool. Well, let's pivot for a moment before we wrap up and just talk about AI. I mentioned to you before, we have a new mm-hmm. show, Edge of AI, and cool. it sounds like you're going down that rabbit hole a little bit, or maybe a lot. What's your perspective on sort of this intersection of AI and blockchain? How are you using it? How are you sort of encouraging your clients to think about AI? Totally. So I think this is so freaking cool. And I guess another place where I disagree with a lot of people is people have gotten obsessed with AI. But it's not an either or AI or crypto and blockchain. They actually go really well together. I agree. And I think in the future, what payments and transactions are going to look like is on-chain transactions undertaken mostly by AIs on behalf of people. And the actual UX of the blockchain is a fine UX for an AI, even if it's a tricky UX for a person. And AIs are the ultimate digital natives. And so they're going to use digital native currencies to transact and then to be able to show humans their work and wrap up what they did in a nice little UX bow for the human to look at. That's one use case. Another is, I think we're going to change our mentality about content, where a piece of content, unless someone's verified that they're saying it's true, we're going to assume it's not really theirs, it didn't really come from them, or that it's been fabricated by AI. And right now we assume when we see something that it's real until proven guilty. So that's going to flip. And it's going to be, on-chain verification by people or by a creator or by a publication that this piece of content is authentic according to them, that it really came from them. So we're going to see that. I think also these proof of humanity projects are really interesting. We're going to get so overwhelmed with content on the internet that we're going to need to flag somehow that we're human. What I'm not so sure about is the UBI use case. I'm still waiting to fully understand that. I'm waiting to fully understand how distributing additional currency to people doesn't just raise the price of the goods they're trying to buy such that their purchasing power would end up the same as it would have been otherwise. Like I'm still trying to learn about what the economics of that would be. And I'm hopeful that AIs are going to help bring down the price of goods in a way that converges with changes in human ability to create economic value. So I have an eye on that. I'm curious about it, but I'm hopeful about it. Very cool. Appreciate the hot takes on that topic. I will say we've had a couple of shows already on deep fakes and there's so many nuances to it that need to get broken down. Audio deep fakes is totally different than video deep fakes and photography deep fakes. It, sure. it's, all of these things are different and they're complicated and we're still figuring it out. So I appreciate your perspective on that. And on the proliferation of content side, I just heard yesterday about a project where someone's creating celebrities all over the world using AI mm-hmm. based on the individual preferences of those communities and how they engage. So we're going to have this, I mean, if they're effective, it's cool, but if they're effective, we're going to have this massive proliferation of celebrities in That's the world true. that we don't even know how they got there. And all of a sudden, <laughs> people are looking at these profiles and they're like, wow, this person's really cool. Well, we're not even sure how we got here. So yeah, <laughs> but I guess it's I all a matrix. <laughs> Maybe, but one last AI crypto use case that I'm really excited about is AI code audits and AI co-pilot for building smart contracts. Mm. I think like we get something like FTX, that's a failure of centralized finance, not DeFi. And there's so few good arguments for why we should have centralized finance instead of DeFi. And one of them is all of the bugs and hacks in all of these DeFi platforms code. And otherwise, other than those bugs and hacks, 
those DeFi protocols are able to protect user funds way better than CeFi and make sure that users always have access to their funds because they're non-custodial. So if we are able to use AI to go a step further than we are with our security audit firms right now and really verify the quality of the code base and also work with the developers while they're building the code base to ensure that there aren't problems, then we're going to lose the final argument for CeFi over DeFi. And I think that helps DeFi become dominant. That's really interesting. I would say like FTX is also a failure, ethics failure of leadership. But to your point, in an industry like fintech, where compliance and due diligence has such direct consequences on a broad population, how can AI sort of help consumers in a way that can defend against sort of human limitation, ethical issues. It's a really interesting conversation. If it's all transparent and on-chain and users keep custody of their own funds and AI can verify what's actually going on under the hood. I think we would have thought differently about FTX six or 12 months before all that went down if we had that type of information, right? We wouldn't have been... Well, um, actually, there's a guy on the team at Serotonin who called the FTX collapse months before it happened because he was actually looking on-chain at the various treasuries that had been associated with FTX. And maybe if there are show notes, I can send you. Yeah, yeah, we do have show notes. The link to this. Yeah, Um, that'd be fascinating. But uh, it was pretty amazing. And no one believed him when he first tweeted this, but it's out there. There you go. (laughs) And I guess in your world, you guys have some exciting stuff happening too. Something sort of in the October timeframe that you wanted to sort of share with folks? Yeah. So this quarter, we're actually launching something really cool from Serotonin. We've launched two products before. So there's Mojito, which is the leading suite for brands that want to do e-commerce and Web3. Then last year, we launched Franklin, which is cash and crypto hybrid payroll. So helping companies pay their teams in a tax compliant way in crypto or cash if they want. Then we built our third product this year, which we're going to be opening up to the world at the end of this year if people want it. We have some beta testers in there right now kicking the tires. And it's a platform that basically gives you access to the data and the information that we work off of at Cero in a way that lets people get access to our ecosystem and serve themselves and learn about and get plugged into the ecosystem no matter where they are in the world or what stage their project is at, whether or not they know us or could afford one-on-one marketing services. And then it's also going to be a community of builders and people that are project leads and bringing those people together with investors, with media, with other founders, big and small, that are building serious projects. And so it's part platform and it's part network and community. And everyone can join? It's always going to be curated. In the beginning, it's going to be 100 beta users. And we're going to be gradually through a referral program, adding more people once they are verifiably project leads, builders, investors. We really want to bring together the people that are serious about building in Web3 into this community. And we're going to be using Web3 We have a soulbound token. We're going to be able to accrue reputation over time. And we're going to grow this thing really thoughtfully. Sounds really exciting. Folks should definitely check that out. And where can folks go to learn more about you and Serotonin? So I'm on Twitter, now X, Amanda.eth, or my name, Amanda Cassett, two S's, two T's. Serotonin is at serotonin, spelled like the neurotransmitter, serotonin.co. And if you want to sign up to be a beta user or get early access to the platform, check out serotonin.co backslash platform. All right. Well, thanks for hanging out. It was lovely talking to you. I think a lot of interesting insights from our conversation and ways to think about this world of Web3 and Web2 differently. So I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me.
All right, what's up, everybody? We are here at the amazing opening party uh, at NFT Gateway, and like this has been so amazing. I'm here with this artist, and I don't know if you see this background, but this is absolutely incredible. This is your creation. It Aaron, is, it is, it is. It tell is. us about yourself. Tell us about what you've created. So right here, we have an interactive generative art piece. Not only is the base pass generative, that's the base now pass right there, but I've run it through this program, Touch Designer, and now I've overlaid all these different effects on it with this MPC MIDI pad. And it's just a lot of fun, you know? We can add different videos on top of it. We can add just the noise patterns. The whole thing with NFT now in this pass is the signal in the noise. That's what we want to represent as a company. That's what we're doing in Web3. And this is why we created the gateway to bring new people in and like be that defining voice yeah. that brings the artists together and really does it for the community to uplift artists. Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, everybody that's been walking through comes in here and just sits for a second because I mean, this is mesmerizing. I remember when I first sat down and I saw you starting to mess with it in like all the different ways that this can interact. It's just, it captivates people, man. Like I see why they got you here doing this. This is really cool. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I really just wanted to have something that was like truly interactive and generative. A lot of the generative projects in this case are just like static. Right. And that's cool. I right. respect that. But once I was able to like learn this touch designer program, it really just unlocked. Right. And I really like the concept of like adding different layers to the now pass right. that are going to come to fruition over time. And it really comes together, man. Like as you started to mess with this, you have all the different neural things going on. Like I sat here for 10 minutes. It was just like, I could watch this all day. And I feel like a lot I'm of people- Honestly, I'm inspired way. by so many of the artists here in the original now pass, like the base pass, Krista Kim's piece over there, the gradients. Yeah. JN Silva is the one who inspired me to add audio to it. So right now we're like competing with the DJ. So I turned the audio off, but this whole thing is actually audio reactive. Okay. And wow. we have Medved made a set for it and it like bounces with the music and all of that sort of stuff. But the bass now passes, it has like this ambient generative audio, right? That like once you find the signal, cause when you're playing with this on the website, you can move the pass around with your mouse right. and there's different quests. It's a lot of fun. Man, it looks like a lot of fun. For everyone that wants to learn more about all the basic art and everything that you're doing, how can they do that? Go to nftnow.com. Come to the gateway in Korea. If you're not in Korea, stay tuned for what we're gonna do in Miami. Absolutely, heard it here first. All right, and we're also about to check out our NFT number 571. There it is. Do you want to freestyle on it? Why not? I appreciate it. it. Let's do it. So the way that, that you do it, that these sliders control each row of pads, okay. right? This left is like the base, okay. right? So like here, now you got the video. Okay. And there's actually this little secret, like you can change the video if you go to bank two. Okay. All right. So once you have a video, you can now add another layer of effects on it. For example, that, that like this feedback growth sort of thing. That will grow and that will spin it into a fractal. And so on and so forth. This one is like a distortion displacement. This one is like a wireframe. Wow. This one. So now you can combine the different rows right. together to make like your own thing. Oh man. You really can make this thing dance. All right, let's let's try a little something. Trying to line it up with the bass. There's really no wrong way. Let's go wrong, there's, right? there's no wrong way. Man, this is dope. Hey, thanks again, man. This is awesome. Absolutely. Thank you, man. Hi everyone, what's going on? Welcome back to Edge of NFT live in Seoul, South Korea.
We are hanging out in the presidential suite. It's part of uh, Shilla, who's owned by uh, Samsung, actually, fun fact. And here with none other than legendary Frank DeGods. Frank, how you doing, man? Super excited, yeah. Presidential suite is fucking sick. <laughs> yeah, not a bad place to do an interview. Yeah. So, by the way, Josh Krieger here with Richard Carthon. For those of you that don't know Frank, I don't know what sort of box you're hiding under, but he's a visionary artist and entrepreneur who gave birth to two groundbreaking projects on Solana, DeGods, and Utes, which have now evolved into multi-chain endeavors. Former Y Combinator fellow, didn't know that, that's pretty cool. And he's really done a lot for the Web3 space, and we'll talk a little bit about that in this course of this interview. But yeah, man, so I guess just to kick things off, what at this point does the world need to know about D-Labs and how the project has evolved from its original conception, which we're catching up on the way up here with Brian, who's sort of met you before DGODS happened. So I'm really curious about sort of the evolution process. Yeah, I think when we first started with DGODS, it really was the classic shitty apartment. And we were just like trying to figure something out. And there was this childlike innocence to when we launched the project, just trying to make something cool. And I think now, as we've spent a lot of time over the last two years, just trying to like figure out what do people want out of NFTs? I think the thing that people want to should know about DLabs is our thesis is different than I think a lot of other projects, where I think most projects today are trying to disrupt other industries. They're trying to figure out how to get into gaming or anime or whatever it is. For us, we just think that people are going to continue to want digital collectibles, digital goods. And our goal with D-Labs is to make the best ones. And what does that look like? It's a mix of rewarding the holders. It's a mix of creating a strong brand that people feel proud to represent and making sure there's a 24-7 entertaining content cycle of stuff always happening. And I think that is what we're laser focused on more than anything. Like we just want to make the best digital goods and continue to find creative ways to do that. I love that. So you said 24-7. So the only way that's possible is to be a global brand, right? Because what you're saying is Mm -hmm. like you should go to sleep somewhere in the world, but some kind of great stuff is happening with your brand somewhere else. Yeah, I think that there's like really big examples of this. Obviously, I'm a big fan of the NBA. What I think is super interesting is if there's two people that meet and they really follow basketball, you know, there's an infinity number of topics that you can talk about, whether it's the latest trade rumors to how the game went yesterday to like who's going to win the championship to who's better, LeBron or Jordan or whatever it is. There's like infinite topics that you can get from that. And then when people meet up, there's a lot of shared knowledge that they can go start to become friends and get closer with. And so I think our goal with the guys and Utes is how can you wake up every day and there's like something interesting happening. And some weeks, some months were better at this than others, but it all comes back to like this pretty nuclear core belief that we have, which is how do we go viral? How do we get people to talk about us? We just do things that are worth talking about. So we'll go and buy a basketball team. We'll go give out a Tesla and we're going to just keep doing crazy shit like this because that is what sparks discussion and makes people question what is an NFT? What is possible here? And that's what gets me excited. And how we can make that 24-7 content pipeline. Absolutely. It's what everyone in your community loves about it, and it gets people excited. And, and on that same kind of excitement, season three just dropped, and yeah. it's now out in the wild. You have some really cool things going on. And what was the inspiration of behind season three? And you even said yourself, like, there's some lessons that you probably learned along the way. What are some things, like, after it's launched, you've kind of learned in retrospect? Yes, I think season three in concept was something that we got excited about, honestly, almost a year ago. And that's when we first started talking about it. But I think in that time, obviously, FTX happened, we migrated, 
the whole market shifted a lot since this time last year. And so I think in that, the idea has fluctuated a lot. It's changed. And we got to this point where we were just burnt out from staring at fucking new versions of D-Gods all day, from figuring out how we want to iterate and launch points and how we can create something cool with that. And at the end of the day, I am proud of what we've launched here. I think we launched a non-dilutive art collection, which is going to pay off in the long term of not diluting the collection until we really think that it's a smart thing to do. And on top of that, obviously built a sustainable business model that allows us to reward our holders in creative ways. We're out here delivering insane value to the brands that are coming in. I think we just got the numbers in. It's Kraken NFT got 32 million. That's a real number. 32 million unique impressions through all of the user-generated content when you add it all up together on their brand from our first week of working. And that's because it's a different model. NFTs have people that are a lot smaller of a group, but way more diehard. And so when you have people that are super active and have an aligned goal, then you're able to do really incredible things. So in that way, I'm really proud of the launch with season three. But where I think we could have done a lot better was the rollout and the packaging and making that message that I'm saying very clearly with my voice right now. But in the assets and the actual execution of the stuff that we put out, I think it could use a lot of work. And that's where I think the two key lessons that we learned was, one, let's not ever hype something up for six months. Because no matter what we do, it's always going to be something that people don't feel lives up to it. And let's try to like keep the iteration cycle a lot shorter. And that's what we've been doing. We've launched maybe like one thing every two days for this whole month of August, essentially. And so that, I think, is the cadence and the pace at which we want to go at going forward versus a long waiting period and then something comes out. Yeah, I appreciate the authenticity of what you just said. We built up Web3 in a world of hype. And and unfortunately, that's not sustainable. We all have paid the consequences for that. But I think there's some real incredible long-term opportunities with this type of more sustainable, scalable strategy that you're building if other people follow in your footsteps. So no pressure. Can I push back? I think like hype as a term gets a lot of flack and it's considered a negative thing. Then I point to companies, whether it's in the fashion world with Supreme, Taguchi, or even tech companies like Apple, I think that you can actually make hype sustainable. I think that what it requires though is being able to make things that are very, very exciting and change the way that people use their current technology or make something that whether it's really big names with fashion or it's a new type of design style that gets people really excited and becomes a new hot thing. And so I think that while hype on individual things is definitely not something that's going to last forever, I think building the system to constantly create hype and make it something that's a powerful lever for a business is something that the best companies in the world do all the time. And it's the direction that we want to go in for sure. I guess it's just about avoiding like being the supreme of the world where there's a massive crash at the end, right? Well, I think Supreme is doing pretty good. I think, yes, I agree that you want to stop the massive crash at the end. But I think most things in crypto that crash are things that are honestly out of the team's control. Like I think a lot of NFTs, they ran up for fucking no reason. In 2021 and 2022, like you saw these things just go to these really, really high values. And I think when that happens, you have a significant crash or you have people start to lose faith because the reason that it went up or the reason that people got excited about it wasn't the core direction from the team. And I think for us, we're trying to put things out so frequently and always pushing the boundaries with every launch. We hold ourselves to a really high bar. And that I think is something that we don't want to lose just because things didn't go perfectly on season three doesn't mean we want to lose the thing that got us here, which is the no fucks. Like we just give no fucks. Like I want to get even crazier with you. 
I think we still have a lot left in the chamber and a lot of things that we want to do with our project that are going to be controversial, are going to be weird. And if anything, after season three, I feel like we went too safe, honestly. And so, yeah, I think it's just rough for people to hear sometimes because it doesn't fit their mental model. But I think the idea that technology itself is the thing that's going to drive quote unquote mass adoption is a little silly. It's kind of like saying that cardboard is why trading cards are valuable. It's like, it's obviously it's the things that we do and the content and the way that we roll things out that matter a lot. And so, yeah, I think that's not going to stop being a foot. If anything, we're doubling down. We just want to do it on a shorter time period. That to me is the real error of season three is that it took so long. But I think that if we launched this, everything we did in two, three months from when we first announced it, man, I think it will go fucking crazy. But it's like, six months, seven months. At a certain point, it tends to like, you just tend to run out of gas. Yeah. And that's what I think happened here. So you guys have already made an impact on the way up here. I think we ran into someone in the elevator from Coinbase that has, is part of the the tribe, so to speak. And, but I think what you're talking about has the potential to make even a bigger impact in the emerging tech industry and sort of the perceived value of Web3 brands globally. If you could kind of fast forward a few years, like what kind of impact would you like to sort of know that you made in the broader sort of emerging tech landscape? I think we want to make the no-brainer NFTs. What I mean by that is if someone is interested in NFTs, like I have no interest in trying to tell someone that doesn't want NFT why they should want NFT, which is a weird thing that like our industry has gotten into is this idea like moms in Idaho that don't give a fuck about NFTs, like somehow we need to onboard those people. It just like goes against the basic principles of growth and sales. It's like people are curious about NFTs. There's a lot of people that are collectors in other industries. There's a lot of people that are in this industry in crypto that don't touch NFTs. So I'm way more focused on those people. And I think our goal is, hey, how can we make a no-brainer? So if you're going to spend money on an NFT, it's a no-brainer to buy a D-Lab. It's a no-brainer to buy a D-Lab. It's a no-brainer to buy a U. And I think the way we're going to get there is very simple. It's like, keep making fresh artwork, keep making the community an incredible utility where you can go to new countries and have friends there. You can get closer and and network. Like you mentioned, someone from Coinbase, a lot of really big hitters in the community that might not tweet that much, but how can we unlock that value for the rest of the community? And then finally, just continuing to drive home, having the best marketing in the fucking game. And I think people, again, like they'll criticize us for focusing on those things. But I think those are the things that people actually care about. I think that people feel proud when they see other people talking about the NFT that they hold. I think that's a pretty fucking sick experience when you see everyone on the timeline debating, discussing your project. And like, we want to deliver that more often and more frequently, if anything. To that point of like, not trying to go after the moms in Idaho, you're meeting people where they are and meeting the people who want to be excited, want to be part of these unique experiences. And part of meeting people where they are is coming to places like here in Asia. So now that you're here in Asia and at Korea Blockchain Week, what brings you over here? And why are you excited to be a part of coming over into this side of the world? It's funny. I went a year anonymous and most people assumed that was like a white surfer bro or something (laughs) like that, you know, from all the Twitter spaces. But obviously I'm Asian and I think that what's interesting is I don't actually see the borders, right? I think there's different cultures for sure. But I have no interest in like building anything that's pandering. And I think if we make something that's cool, it'll be universally cool because the internet is so globalized that people have tastes from all kinds of different cultures. And so coming out to Asia, all I get reminded of is, oh, NFT MFers are the same wherever you go. And it's like people are interested in this 
digital ownership, digital collectible landscape, and everyone's looking for the answers, as are we. And I think that is probably my take. I don't look at the Asian market in any different way than I look at the American market, truthfully. I'm sure there's like optimizations that we can make that are like, oh, if you say this word or like you do this thing. But I think that, again, if we make things that are cool, if we do things that are worth talking about and the artwork slaps, like we're going to be in a good spot no matter what. Yeah. Right on, right on. I know you're going to go on stage soon. So before we wrap, I wanted to at least just get your perspective on AI. I mentioned to you that we have a new show, Edge of AI, and I think you're pretty excited about AI and the potential. How do you see AI and Web3 intersecting? How are you sort of playing around with it and thinking about it in terms of what you guys are working on? I think macro for as AI becomes more popular, I can see a world where having some type of authenticity linking back to a public blockchain is valuable. I think that connection today that people are making I have to see the steps before I can say like, yeah, that's for sure going to happen. But it makes sense at a high level. For us, we use AI internally a lot. I think what it's really good at is two core things. I think one, we get an immense amount of feedback on everything that we do. And so we've been using AI to help us summarize and find commonalities between all the different suggestions that people make, stack rank them, prioritize them, which has been really, really helpful. Why we've been Part of the reason why we've been able to ship so quickly over this last month is like, again, we're putting out an update. They're relatively significant every few days after going a few months without chipping anything. And so that's been a big core factor of it. And I also think complex problem solving, GPT-4 is really incredible at taking a lot of different variables and a lot of different things that are involved with whatever the fuck you're doing and make more sense. Totally get that. That's a great use case. Is there like a tool for AI tool that can kind of scan your Discord and pick up the common trends right now? Because there's one for WhatsApp, but that seems like a dope idea. Like have a tool that can kind of comb through your Discord and pick up like common themes and ideas. Yeah, you're leaking our roadmap. No, but no, no, I think it's an interesting thing because there's a lot of people that are trying to connect different APIs to read what's going on in large, very, very noisy environments. And so I think when you try to do something like that, what you'll tend to see is without any tuning, you'll just get like lit, fuck this, or this shit sucks or whatever as like the most frequent thing. So you lose out on a lot of the signal. So I have my ways of like kind of running threads and like smaller kind of discussions within our Discord that helps me just basically paste that into ChatGPT and then go from there. Yeah, I think that there's a tendency right now with AI to over intellectualize or over complicate the process. But you, everything ends up being a GPT wrapper. So you might as well just go straight to GPT anyway, right? It's like, you're going to end up curating that data. And I think most people look at AI today for automation when I look at it for optimization. And that is like a lot more viable today than just purely automating all the insights. Like you still need to really massage whatever context or data that you're putting into it to get a good output. Noisy data in is going to lead to noisy data out. Totally. It's all about the quality of the data. Cool. Appreciate your perspective. So normally on the full show, we do these inside of the actor studio style edge quick hitters 10 to get to know you better. I'm just going to do a couple just because I think it'll be really fun. And then we'll let you head out. All right. So the first question is, what's the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? Skittles. Nice. Yeah. From the gas station. Right now, if you could buy anything in the world, we're talking digital, physical, anything in the world. What would you buy right now? A sick house. Where? LA. Yeah. Sick. All right. I'll be there for the housewarming. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last edge quick hitter. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? The ability to admit when you're wrong. Yeah. It's like, I don't mind being wrong at any given point. 
And yeah, I'd rather be right in the long term than like stick to my guns on something that I internally just don't think is right anymore. Yeah. FDR said if he can be right 55% of the time, he's doing good. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Dope, man. This was great. Thank you so much for your time. Have a great trip in Asia. We'll see you back on the west side in LA. Thank you so much, man. It's been great. Appreciate it, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks. Hi, everyone. Josh Krieger, host of Edge and MT, live at NFT Gateway in Seoul, Korea. It's been really fun as they kick things off over the last few days. And today I have an opportunity to meet with Stace King, the head of comms and activations at Three Stripe Studio, aka Adidas. And just got a chance to hear a little bit about what you're doing, but I'm really excited to dive in more with you. Thanks for spending some time to hang out. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I always like to sort of ask folks, especially that come from Web2 branding sort of adventure with especially an iconic brand like this, what got you originally excited about Web3 enough to sort of advocate for it to be part of the Adidas sort of landscape? Yeah, so me personally, I was a DGen before Adidas was a DGen, if that makes sense. So I was working for Adidas. I've been working with the brand for five years. And I really got into NFTs two years ago, just over two years ago. And I got into it for the art. The first piece I ever bought was A World of Women. And I got into NFTs purely for the art. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea how to set up a wallet. But I've been scammed and I've got, you know, learn all the mistakes. we all have. Exactly. Learn all the mistakes that you typically learn when you're getting into NFTs. But as I started to get more into the technology and how that technology could revolutionize the world and convenience, and it just made sense for me to dive deeper. And so eventually Adidas got into NFTs about four or five months after I had dived into that journey. And yeah, then they started the Three Stripe Studio, which is our Adidas Web3 studio. And it was just a natural fit. I'm already an Adidas lover and, and part of the brand and I'm a DGen and love the Web3 space. So bringing those two worlds together, it was the perfect role for me. And I was able to use my marketing skill set and dive into Web3. Taking back to like some of those early days, like in the war room, sort of evaluating different possibilities, sort of thinking about how it sort of is going to be received by your core fans and maybe open up new doors and sort of how that led to like some of the early projects that you guys did in the space. And then we can kind of go into what you're doing now. Yeah. So the early projects that we did when we first launched, it was called Into the Metaverse or ITM. We launched that in December of 2021. And that was a metaverse task force. So it was a band of DGENs, Web3 natives who got together within the business and decided that they wanted to bring this use case to the business rather than the business trying to convince staff that this is the future. It was actually started from the inside. It started from the staff. And so that was like the start of it. It was crazy. It was convincing the brand that this is the right way to go. There's a lot of selling and trying to convince people who know nothing about the space that this is right for a 73-year-old company. (laughs) It's a massive feat, but the Metaverse Task Force was formed and they launched into the Metaverse and 30,000 tokens that we sold. It was massive. It sold out in only a few minutes. But then taking that to what we do now, the Three Stripe Studio was formed in January. And that's where I started my journey with the Adidas team within Web3. And those war rooms, we would sit in rooms for days talking about what should we do within Web3? How do we build that to Adidas's DNA and make sure that it's true to who we are as a brand? but also a team of DGENs that we're passionate about it and that it makes sense and it's credible to the space and to our community. And so we had to balance the corporate world and making sure it's right for the business 
while also being proper DGENs and making sure it's authentic to Web3. Sure. And what have you learned in terms of the type of enthusiasts for your digital strategy in Web3 relative to your normal customer segments? Like how much crossover was there? What were some of the new customers that came into the world of Adidas? Yeah, so we went really core Web3 to begin with. We didn't go after the Adidas loyalist. We want to bridge that gap now and be kind of Web 2.5, which is why we've integrated things like token proof into our, like our app. So you can actually do token gated drops and things like that. And that's kind of the path ahead. But looking back, we really went core Web3. And so we partnered with Board Apes, we partnered with Pixel Vault, we partnered with G-Money to do our initial launch so that we were going after Web3 credibility. It wasn't about Adidas loyalists and our existing community. It was about building a community within the Web3 world so that we were showing up not only authentic to Adidas, but really credibly within the space. It wasn't just, we didn't want to show up as another brand being a rug. A brand, it was a hot topic in 2021, right? Absolutely. Everyone was talking about Web3 and NFTs. And so we didn't want to just be another brand showing up, doing an NFT drop, and then dipping. That wasn't the plan. The plan was to have a long-term strategy and to show up credibly so people knew we were serious about Web3. So let's talk a little bit about how your diehards responded to this, because I'm sure some of them caught wind of it, and maybe some of them actually got excited and jumped on board. What kind of reaction did you have from your sort of native brand aficionados? Surprisingly, we got really positive response. I mean, I'm sure there are people who feel that web, there's a lot of people that feel that web three and NFTs are a scam, right? But I think at the core of it, people were really responsive. As I said, we went really after that web three credible native audience. And so it was really well received. The partnerships with the big brands, it was the first of that kind. No big brand had partnered with these big Web3 companies before. You see it now and it happens all the time. Doodles and Crocs and all of these other projects with brands. But at the time, it hadn't been done. And so I think for those who were in Web3, incredibly well received. For those outside of Web3, I think it sparked some questions of like if a big brand like Adidas is getting involved, then maybe there's something here. Maybe we should look into it. And so we actually had a lot of people who had never bought an NFT before buy one of our initial Into the Metaverse NFTs. Funny story. So Betty, who is the co-founder of of Deadfellas, she told me the story, so I hope it's okay sharing it. But she was in a taxi on her way here in Korea and was talking to the taxi driver about NFTs. And he said, I only have ever bought one NFT. I don't even know how to find it anymore. And when she found it for him, it was an Adidas NFT. And that was the only one he had ever bought. So we know that it had branched out beyond our usual Web3 audience. And it got people starting to think maybe Web3 was something they should be looking into. That's very cool. Yeah. So we're here at the Gateway with some beautiful art that you all curated. Tell us a little bit more about why Asia, why the Gateway, the projects that you put together. Yeah. So we just launched a program called Residency and it's our first, the brand's first ever digital artist in residence program. And so the program is really designed to elevate emerging and leading artists and give them a platform to showcase their work, to work with a brand like a big brand like Adidas and to really break down the walls of being able to work with a brand like us or any other big brand. And so we wanted to come to Asia. We've done NFT NYC. We've done NFT Paris. We've done events all over the world. But APAC was not a place we had visited yet and not mm-hmm. a place we'd shown up. But we know we have community here. And we know we have members of our community council that we started earlier in the year in Asia. So it was on the roadmap this year to do something in Asia. We just weren't sure what it was. 
And then when we decided to launch residency, Korea was the obvious choice. We love working with NFT now, and they were curating this whole gallery and for the gateway, and it just was a perfect match. Cool. And tell us a little bit about the artists and the pieces that you have displayed. Yeah, so... And we'll have some B-roll, so we'll add them into the, awesome. the interview, so... Our audience can check them out on YouTube. I love it. So we have two different artists that we've launched with. One is Monkey Moto and the other is Dear Nostalgia. And Monkey Moto is actually a community member. He's part of the Olds by Adidas community. He creates art in his spare time in homage to the brand, posts it on social, posts it in our Discord. And our community love it and we love it. And so we wanted to elevate him and give him that opportunity to work with us in a more official capacity. And so that's why we worked with Monkey Moto. And his art is really anime and Japan-inspired. It's really beautiful, and he does these really cool animations. The artwork itself is designed with inspiration taken from the brand and from our NFT project, but we have two pieces with him. So one is an open edition that's open until Sunday evening, and that's open to anyone to purchase. And then the other one is a limited edition. There's only 100 pieces of those, and it's only available here in Korea at the Gateway. You can only get them at the gallery that we've got here, and it comes with a free hoodie. And so, yeah, it's cool to do these like limited runs and give them that opportunity to kind of do these really hype pieces and bring in that sort of hype element that we do with sneakers and other apparel drops, while also doing this really openly accessible open edition that anyone can purchase that's at a low price point. It's really easy to buy. You can get it with crypto. You can get it with your credit card. You can get it with Apple Pay. So we're, again, not just appealing to the Web3 natives, but trying to bring in that audience that want to buy art, but maybe don't know anything about NFTs or crypto. I love it. Yeah, that's really great. And I applaud sort of the authenticity of your journey. So where do we go next? Is there anything you can talk about in terms of a glimpse into the future? So for Alts by Adidas, we launch our avatar project later this year. That's the big thing that's kind of looming and, and coming. That has been in the works for two years since we dived into this space. We really wanted to launch an avatar project and give people the chance to use Adidas as their identity and express themselves in whatever way that shows up. And that's why it's called alts. It's the alternate you. So you can rep your three stripes in the real world like I am right now. But being able to do that in a virtual world is really where we see alts going. And it's about showing up, whether that's in three stripes, whether that's whatever that is, whatever that means to you, alts by Adidas is to do that for you. And then with residency, we are just getting started. We launched yesterday, oh. so this is very fresh. We're launching with just two artists. They're emerging artists. They don't have massive, massive platforms yet, and that's what we want to bring to them. So we really want to focus on them and getting them that platform that they deserve. But also, we want to look to bring in new artists. We want to look to create physical product, to create virtual product, and do all those cool things with these artists because connect they connect those have, two together. Exactly, and they have such a talent, and we just want to bring all those worlds together and give them access to the resources that we as a brand have. So, yeah, Dear Nostalgia is the second artist, and she creates this really cool, nostalgic, very, like, in the year of the Barbie movie inspired type work, and it's beautiful, and she also creates such, like, emotive art that I think when we put those two together with Monkey Moto and Dear Nostalgia, creating physical product and virtual product is just, it's going to be so exciting, so I can't wait for the next. Yeah, your passion's bubbling over. I know, uh, I know. Sounds like you have your dream job. <laughs> it is, it really is. That's great. So if folks want to sort of dive in a little deeper, where should they go? So our home of everything Web3 is collect.adidas.com. Collect.adidas.com forward slash residency gets you all the information you need to know about the residency program. But Collect is just our home of everything Web3. 
So that's the place to start if you want any information. You can also join our Alts by Adidas Twitter and our Discord, which I'm sure you can find. So normally when we do long interviews, we have this fun little thing called Edge Quick Hitters. And you seem like the type of person to be up for this. So I'd like to just do a couple with you if okay. that's okay. I'm down. All right. So short answers, just trying to get to know you a little bit better. Okay. What's the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? I think it might have been a Spice Girls CD. If Sweet. not that, a ticket to the Venga Boys concert. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay. What's the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? A snowboard, secondhand. I used to snowboard back in Australia. I don't think people know that there's a lot of snow in Australia, but there is. And yeah, I used to snowboard and I sold it. So Tricks? No, God, no. Terrible. I'm really bad. That's why I sold it. <laughs> <laughs> if you could buy anything in the world, digital physical service experience that's currently for sale, what would it be? Oh, wow. I guess an assistant. <laughs> I feel like Web3, I saw a meme the other day that was like Web3, the three in Web3 stands for three full-time jobs. Yeah, and so you I need think three everyone, assistants. I need three assistants. I think everyone can relate. So yeah, an assistant, that would be great. <laughs> I could use a few more, but I do appreciate my assistant. Shan, thank you for doing all the things you do. <laughs> Shout out. All right, two more questions. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? I think, I mean, this comes naturally being Australian, but we're very laid back and pretty chill. So I would definitely pass that laid back on if I could. I think taking a second to calm down, being not so overworked, like overstimulated of things is probably the thing I would pass on. Everything can be done at some point. Yes. It's all good. And if you could eliminate one of your personality traits from next generation, what would it be? Wow. I am crazy. <laughs> Like, I'm so manic all the time, like, as much as we're really chilled as Australians, I'm always working on something and I'm always chasing the next thing. I'm hungry for whatever is next, and I think that's probably why I'm in Web3, because I really love chasing something new. I'd love to be able to just pause and be content and be happy in what I'm doing instead of, like, constantly chasing the new thing. So that's the part of my personality I'd probably pass off, at least temporarily. I mean, that's quite a contrast, though. I love the fact that you're like, you can be chill about things, but also, sir, you're going for it. I'm hungry, you know? Yeah, I'm always hungry. Great. Well, thanks for playing along with us, and it's great getting to know you, and appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Okay, we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship, so invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now. Rate us and say something cool. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. The views and opinions expressed on Edge of NFT reflect solely those views and opinions of the show hosts and its guests. Please make sure to do your own research. Our show is not financial advice. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk. Whenever making financial decisions, we recommend doing your own research and talking to your accountant for financial advice. From time to time, we may feature sponsored content on the show for which we receive value, and we may share links for which we receive a commission if you make a purchase through one of those links. Refer to our website, www.edgeofnft.com, for our full disclaimer, terms and conditions, and privacy policy.